my brother, Professor Thomas Pless, just got his fourth degree black fourth degree on his black belt uh, last week after our 20 year anniversary of having our gym in Santa Fe. Uh, it was like, I gotta, I, we gotta, we gotta do a little podcast and, and talk about it. You know, how do you feel? Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know really. It hasn't really uh, sunk in just yet, you know? Um, I guess I'll figure out more what, what that means, you know, down, <laughs> down the road. Right, 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 right. I, mean, I know it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, it's a, it's a big interval, right? Uh, right. Like the five years, um, um, you know, I, I, I can just, I can distinctly, acknowledge like a difference in like my understanding of the art, you know, from degree to degree. Uh, but when I, you know, when you start to, for me, at least when I start to look at the fourth degree, I don't think about the amount of knowledge. I think about time. Right? Right. <laughs> five, years, five years. It just, you know, like, uh, I think when I got my third degree, I was like, well, five years is going to be, it's going to be a long time from now. It's like so far away. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, I just didn't think about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I remember it being like a three years from now and then a year and a half from now, you know, and then all of a sudden it was, it was there. So that, that's kind of the, the I guess the biggest thing is just like, wow, five years has gone by. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a mile marker, right? You know, well, I had message, I had message you, right? Like, tw- you know, Hey man, we, we, need to, we should, you know, let's make sure, try to do something. Cause it's 20 years of, you know, of having, you know, of the, the, the gym, you know, 20 years. Right. And then, uh, you know, I, you know, the, just the years go by. Right. And then I'm like, right. holy, like, holy, you know, like, holy shit, like Tom's fourth degree, you know, that's a huge deal. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Cause you're the, you're New Mexico's first homegrown black belt. What that means, you know, since I moved to Brazil and I came back, like, you know, you were, you were, you know, you were on the mat in, in New Mexico in Santa Fe. You came up, you were the first black belt of New Mexico. I mean, probably maybe even the Southwest, I think, when I, if I think about it, you know, um, as far as like Americans, I don't know, you know, Amal was up, you know, he's in Colorado, but for New Mexico, for sure. Um, it's just such a big deal, you know, I was like, man, that's, that's crazy, you know, and then we had such yeah. a crazy turnout with 2020 being so crazy, you know um yeah really really cool um yeah i agree to be there you know really special and uh just really interesting that it also falls on your anniversary right of your your fourth degree right (laughs) (laughs) no exactly exactly grant grant was there like you guys used to run the biggest uh gym well grant was like the head coach right and then you came in right you guys were the head coaches of the biggest gym in santa fe uh, the Taekwondo, uh, what was it called? Taekwondo, uh, uh Institute. Institute, Institute. Yeah. you know, <laughs> back in man, the 2000, but you're, man, you're like a martial art legend, Santa Fe, like just, you, you've gone through everything there. You've been training for, how, how what, what, what did you start with when you, in so, so ta- Taekwondo was actually, that was my first, that was my first one, you know, and, uh, when I started with that art, it's kind of weird. Like I, I didn't even know what Taekwondo was, you know, like I, right. you know, I've heard of karate, I've heard of jujitsu. I'm, I'm sure I had heard the term, uh, uh, you know, or heard judo before, but I, you know, I had no idea what Taekwondo was and I knew I needed to take something and it just happened to be the school that was closest to where I lived, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's where I started. Was it yeah. the Taekwondo Institute? Yeah, it was. Yeah. We, well, at the time, 
Yeah, well, it used to be like off of um, St. Michael's. Remember, right, like right, above right. The, the Candyman, I guess. Right, so right, right. Like okay, yeah. so you started there. You started yeah. there. Wow, that's crazy. Wow, wow. So you started there, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then you got into Muay Thai. What was the progression? Yeah, so I started. Uh, you know, as I started going to uh, Taekwondo classes at at the Taekwondo Institute, and then eventually. Um, you know, kind of branched out into going to the Hapkido classes, which is another Korean martial art. Uh, and then, you know, I was even going to the uh, Tai Chi classes. I was just kind of hungry for any knowledge I could get. And at the uh, apartment com uh, complex that I lived in, there was like a little gymnasium. And uh, I got to talking to this this gentleman that, uh, you know, he, he also was involved in martial arts. And he was uh, taking Tang Sudo at the boys club here in Santa Fe. And so, uh, you know, he invited me over there and there's this gentleman, I, man, I wish I could remember his name, but he was kind of like a fixture here in Santa Fe as far as working with the youth. Mm. Uh, and he was re really well loved and respected. Um, and so anyway, I, I did Tang Sudo with him for a while. And uh, I think it was, I, I went to a karate point fighting tournament, right? I actually participated in it. And I, I, I won my division. And then afterwards, I went over to this little table and they had all these books, you know, martial arts books. And I saw this one book called, um, it was by this guy, Zorn Reebok. His name was, uh, the name of the book was called uh, Tie Boxing Dynamite. And I just started going through the pictures and it just blew me away because it, it just didn't look anything like what, you know, what I thought martial arts was about, right? They, they, didn't, they weren't wearing any uniforms. Traditional like martial arts. Yeah, it was these street kids, like working in these very humble uh, uh, conditions. And they were like, you know, throwing knees and elbows. And it looked, uh, I don't know, it just looked radically different. So I was really uh, intrigued by it. And I, I remember kept, I kept talking to my father, you know, uh, about it. You know, oh, I'd love to take Muay Thai. And, um, you know, my dad at the time was was uh, delivering uh, for Domino's Pizza, you know, so he was pretty um, familiar with the town. Right. He drove all over the place. And he says, I think there's like an actually a, a Muay Thai here, a Muay Thai school here in town. And I was like, wow, really? You know, he's like, yeah, you know. Uh, so I, I looked it up in the, the um, uh, phone book. And sure enough, there's this place called Warrior Pre-Starts which now is known as Alive and Kicking, right, here in town. And it was owned by Doug, uh, Pandorf. Doug Pandorf. Yeah. And so that, that was really big for me because that was, uh, that was a complete departure from, um, you know, everything I had done thus far. And it was really eye-opening. It was like a really critical moment, I think, in my life, you know, going into that school. How, uh, how old were you at the time? Uh, so at that time, I probably – might have been like 17 16 or 17 years old at the time so i'd started martial arts when i was uh, 15 and then uh yeah it was about a year and a half maybe closer to two years when i finally bumped into the muay thai hmm. yeah that's crazy and then uh, and then you and then you were telling your dad about the muay thai and he was you're you're trying to convince him Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I just, you know, so, I mean, um, I mean, I just, I, I kind of, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I got bullied a lot. Right. And my, um, I, I needed to learn some form of self-defense. 
uh, and I was begging my mom to enroll me in some kind of, you know, karate classes or something like that. And she just had this perception of martial arts being like, you know, this like really violent, you know, uh, culture, right? And she was like, you know, no son of mine is gonna, you know, do, learn to solve his problems with his fists, you know? And so it was kind of forbidden for me to do martial arts. And I had brought it up multiple times over the years and it was just like, uh, you know, her stance was like, you know, well, when you can afford to pay for your own lessons and provide your own transportation, um, then you can do it, you know? So that's when I was 15, I got a job at the McDonald's downtown. I bought myself a bicycle, you know, and then I rode on over and you know, <laughs> enrolled and then I got obsessed, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I started going to the Muay Thai classes and then, you know, of course they were doing the Filipino stick and knife stuff. And, you know, that's where I, I, I met Arlen, I think for the very first time, you know, Arlen Sanford. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And then eventually, you know, uh, the, the way I found out about jujitsu is um, my instructor at the time sent, uh, sent a little newsletter to all the students. And uh, he was talking about that there was this gentleman that was going to be moving into town and he was going to be teaching Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I, I didn't even know there was like, you know, I, I can't remember if I had heard of Capoeira or not at the time, but he, you know, said that he felt like the combination between Muay Thai and Brazilian jiu-jitsu would make a very formidable, formidable form of empty hand self-defense. You know, so I had no idea what it was about, what it looked like, anything like that. I, I just remember like getting that letter and I knew the classes were happening, but I just, you know, I think with my work schedule, my social uh, schedule, I just never, I never really made it to the classes. And I think like one day I went, they were, uh, they, they, they were rolling. Um, um, I just didn't know what to make out of, make of it, right? Because uh, they weren't, they weren't doing anything from the feet at the time, you know, martial arts for me was like, you know, you, you punch and kick, maybe throw from the feet. I didn't know what was going on. They were like on their knees and they were wrestling and stuff. I, I didn't really understand it. And so finally I decided to go and, and, and try a class, you know, and it didn't make really any, any sense. Um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really get it. Right. And so I wasn't immediately attracted to it. It was like, uh, it was like, okay. Um, yeah, I just didn't know what to make of it, you know? And then not long after that, I remember the first UFC came out. Mm. and um uh the uh the 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 teacher of the class and i'm i'm spacing his name right now you obviously know the, the individual i'm talking about uh he he told uh he, he Mark, marco he's, gonzalez marco gonzalez yeah he said you know there's uh you guys need to watch this it's ufc right and so um i remember doug had rented a um he rented a big screen TV from the Renna Center in town, you know, and uh, that was the first time, you know, and it was like when you watch that first UFC, it was like, oh, okay, um, then now it makes sense, mm -hmm. you know. But I think like uh, I, I didn't even pursue jujitsu that much at that point. I, you know, I ended up going into the military, and uh, and when you're in the military, you can't really, um, you know, you're not on your own schedule, right? Um, and I didn't have a car, so my, uh, uh, my accessibility to continuing with my martial arts training was, was pretty limited at that point. And it wasn't until I finally, once I got out of the military, uh, 
that, um, you know, I moved back here to town and, uh, I think eventually, I, I don't know if we had it right away. I don't really remember. Maybe we did. Um, but we might, I think we might've had a club going on, right? There's some things that had happened. I think, I think, I, I think Marco I wasn't going, uh, and, and Joe, Joe, Joe Busa, Joe Busos is your friend. Yeah. 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 Like, I remember I seen you at, uh, at Doug's when a mall was in town, you would kind of, right. And then, uh, yeah, you remember you went away for a while and then I was in Brazil. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, but you moved to Thailand for some years. I remember you were like, yeah, yeah. So I, well, I was there like just under a year, like it was like nine, okay. nine months or so. So, okay. So yeah. let's, let's talk about Thailand, man. <laughs> <laughs> the famous, uh, the famous <laughs> Professor Tom. <laughs> Tom no, Splat's a... uh, Thailand story. <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a really awesome place. You know, unfortunately I haven't been back, you know, since I, I, I left and I, I, I don't know, man. I, you know, I found it. That was my first travel experience. You know, I mean, we, as my family, we moved around a lot uh, around the United States when I was young. And um, so it was a bit of a vagabond, but I, I never contemplated, you know, going overseas or, or traveling like that. There was no desire, like nobody had like really presented me with that concept, you know, or what, what that meant or what, what it would be like. But, uh, you know, I love Muay Thai. And so here was this opportunity. My, my instructors actually at the time um, uh, made some contacts for me over in Bangkok. And so, uh, you know, I, I had that point of contact, which would set me up with transportation, room and board. Uh, and then they put me on like a half salary. And so there was no reason not to go, right? Mm. So I went over there and, uh, I mean, it's just the learning curve was extremely high, right? Because you, you Doug, Doug Pandorf had learned from Arjan Chai, right? Correct, correct. And so he, he's the one who introduced you to the guys in, uh, in Thailand? So they, they had actually, they went for a, um, I believe it was their honeymoon. It was wow. uh, Doug Pandorf and his wife, Don Delvecchio. It was their uh, I believe it was their honeymoon, right? And so they spent, I believe, just a couple weeks. I might be wrong, but I think they spent like a couple weeks there. And of course, they went to a bunch of fights at, you know, the the, the stadiums. And uh, and uh, there's an, a gentleman that uh, is like, a, he's uh, very familiar at the uh, at the Lumpini Stadium, right? I, I think he was the only guy that was allowed to actually operate a Muay Thai fight camp out of Lumpini Stadium, mm. right? So he would actually ride, a, you know, uh, you know, operate this fight camp, and he um, he was a former champion. Um, there's a there's a book about the greatest champions of Muay Thai, and they have like the top ten guys, and three of the top ten guys reference their fights with this individual like incredible you know he was he was up he was uh, around during the the golden age of of, of muay thai and uh was this really prolific competitor his name was uh nurong suri mm. and his nickname is peck and now i haven't seen it but apparently he is now one of the coaches on that 
prison fight reality show. Uh, in Thailand? Yeah, in Thailand, right? <laughs> where these guys fight for their freedom, right? Okay. Uh, but he's one of the he's one of the coaches on there, and I haven't seen the show yet. I, I'd, I'd watch that. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if they win, they get out. <laughs> yeah, something like that, right? So yeah, so he he's one of the coaches on this show. But but anyway, like at that time, that was my point of contact, right? And so he was a, a cab driver in Bangkok, and um, and then you know in the afternoons, late afternoons, early evenings, he ran this this fight camp. And, uh, yeah, so he was the guy that set me up with my, you know, my apartment and showed me where the camp was and how to get there. And it was within walking distance, you know, it was like, I don't know, like maybe a mile or something like that, you know, so I'd walk in every day and go train. And usually it was around like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. We trained like, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock at night. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, that camp was really interesting because it was positioned in the city dump right the city dump yeah. yeah so it was in uh it was in this area of bangkok um called klong toy and uh klong toy is like it's like the um it's kind of like the, the 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 main slum inside bangkok and uh there was like the city dump where there's literally like mountains of trash and it was located kind of underneath this highway bridge, you know? So the first day we got there, I remember the cab pulls up and my friend Joe and I, we get out of the back of the cab and I looked at him, you know, it was just, it's very surreal. I looked at him and he, he wore glasses, right? And uh, the pollution level there in Klong Toy is like, apparently like 20 times the danger level, right? It's like, like smoking like a pack and a half of cigarettes a day or something like that, like the air quality <laughs> level. And uh, I remember looking over at him and his, his glasses immediately fogged up, you know, and he took his glasses off, wiped them off on his shirt. We walked a few more steps and we heard like some like, you know, God awful sound. And this dog comes like, you know, running right in front of us with like a live, like a live rat in its mouth, you know, and the rat's like squealing. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> 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 it's like where this is really happening, you know? And uh, the, the camp was, it was so humble but it had everything you needed. I mean, it, it, uh, it basically was a boxing ring and they would roll out this old piece of carpet right in front of the boxing ring. And one of the ring posts, they had welded like a, a heavy bag off of it, right? So it kind of hung off on the outside. And uh, this training area also doubled as somebody, a family's living quarters, right? There was an outhouse uh, that was right next to the ring and a little picnic table and, and they kept all their belongings padlocked inside the outhouse and so about the time that I finished my training the kids had uh, got you know the kids that lived there had gotten back from school they had finished their homework and so uh, they would oftentimes invite us to eat so we'd change place the kids would get up from the picnic table they would go into the ring and uh, the mom and the mother and father would open up the um Turn this off. The mother and father would um, would open up the outhouse and they would take out the TV set. And they had a little TV set and they plugged it into one of the ring posts. They had actually set up one of the ring posts where it had electricity. 
not dangerous. Right? That's not dangerous. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> Don't want to get stuck in that corner, you know. Uh, but but then they would uh, you know put these like pillows and blankets on the on the ring, and they would watch cartoons, you know. And there was not nothing really different about you know our life and their life, other than just the living situation. It was extremely humble, you know. But it was it was really cool. I mean, everybody there seemed really happy. Um, yeah, it was a really wonderful experience. And, and there wasn't a lot of people that went to the camp at that time. Um, you know, he had, uh, uh, guys like, you know, flying in and out, you know, he, being that he was, um, he was always at Lumpini stadium. He could kind of go through the crowd and he would, you know, search out foreigners, right. Uh, they had money. Right. And so he would go up and he'd get them to try to come to his camp or something like that. Somehow, you know, he tried to do some business transaction with them, you know. So we had people coming in and out of the camp all the time from all over the world. But he always paid these like insanely high level guys that fought there, you know, guys that were number three at Lumpini Stadium or what whatnot. And they would uh, come in and that would be my training partner for the day. And so I had this access to this like world class uh, Muay Thai practitioners and you just you know you pick up like little tricks here and there yeah it was really cool it was really cool you know what an experience yeah wow. and uh and so how long you stayed in that that one camp for how long I mean that was kind of my main home to be okay. honest for like a while uh but I I learned after a while to kind of um to uh tr you want to travel around right because um, a lot of the camps, they have like their um, trademark techniques mm -hmm. and they're really proud to show you these techniques as soon as you get into the, uh, into the camp, right? But after two or three weeks, you don't really get to see too much new stuff, you know? So if you're okay with, uh, with traveling every little bit, you can go to all these different camps and uh, like, I, man, I don't even know all the different ones. We, we went to one by, there's like a, uh, an area, I believe it's called Kuamak, which is a, um, where a bunch of the, uh, universities are. It's like a, like the little college district. Right. And, uh, there was inside one of the gymnasiums at the, the, at the university, there was a Muay Thai camp there. We went there. I remember going to, uh, ooh, we, we, uh, took a train or a bus, I believe South ended up in some like little beach town. Uh, train Muay Thai there and then you know sometimes we would go to the various islands and they had camps there did Man, it's, ever, it's the national did, sport. Did, you to, did you ever go to City of Tong the Pattaya? Did Yontong no no so I knew about it right it was kind of on the outskirts of Bangkok I, I knew about it and right. and I um, the gentleman uh Sit Yontong right? The, the, right, right the the it's named after him right, right, right. he's this uh um, uh, it was like this renowned promoter. He was the promoter in Bangkok at that time. And I remember he was at, you know, every time I would go to Lumpini or Rajamdanan, uh, Rangsit Stadium, any of those stadiums, he was, he was always present, right? He was the man. He, I remember he had these, uh, like these big glasses, right? They were kind of like, um, right, right, right. Uh, tinted or something like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he, he didn't he'd even been in movies and stuff, right? Uh, I think even when um, what's that the Tony Jaw guy came, you know came out and started doing the Ong Bak films, right? right. Uh, I think there's um, 
there's some cameos with uh, uh, you know Ajahn uh, Sityong uh, in the in the film, I believe. You know, so yeah, um, yeah, it's a lot different because I, I I went like after one of my one of my UFC fights, uh, I went with Adit and uh, and uh, yeah, we went to just like a day trip to the to Pattaya, you know, to the to that uh -huh. camp, you know, because my my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my coach here in LA, uh, Walter was was there with the guys right. and then uh, i went to uh, phuket you know in the south and uh -huh. uh, did a little seminar because i was friends with the guy who ran the camp there uh, um a real tiger yeah tiger tiger muay thai okay and to the those people islands and stuff did you make it down there no so i have been to phuket um and i just i just went there like it's kind of like a vacation thing i think i had a, a girlfriend at the time that that came to visit me and um we ended up taking like um week or two week trip you know down towards that that part of the peninsula um but that was the only time um some of the guys over here uh angelo that's mm -hmm. he likes to go to tiger so every time he goes yeah. to thailand he he doesn't stay any time in bangkok you know he goes right there yeah because it's uh, bangkok is so i mean it's a okay bangkok is one thing right like just the you know the noise and just the energy and the smells you know but man you you were training at like next to a dump you know, like, <laughs> the guys, Joe's glasses, right? We're getting like so foggy right. from all the dust. Right. You know, like the family's living on the, you know, on the, you know, wherever the ring is, plugging their their TV into the ring. You know, right. and, uh, and uh, I can't even. How was the smell at that? I, you know, I didn't even. <laughs> you probably just get used to it, right? I, the smell. <laughs> what? So, so the, you know, the, the, so from my apartment, uh, there's this incredible asian market like they're like old school right mm -hmm. like uh uh you know like l lately in the news with all the covid stuff they've been make referencing like wet markets right there's right, one right. of those right oh, next wow. to um uh to, to my place well going the the reason um it's called klong toy a klong is like an open air estuary it's basically a river of shit right and it carves <laughs> its way through the city they don't have uh they, they don't have like a modern uh uh, irrigation system there at all, you know, so they've actually, um, they sure. get a lot of students that go over there and they do these internships or, you know, they'll do these projects where they work with people and try to correct that, you know, but the infrastructure is already there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know, I haven't been there in 20 years, so I don't know what it's like now, but at that time, yeah, you had this, you know, river, yeah, river and you'd cross the bridge and that thing was like, you know, would bake in the sun. I mean, it's jungle heat, you know, so it's incredibly hot there. And that the top layer, whatever was in that stuff would almost turn into like a peanut brittle, right? Like the, almost like this, like gray, like this crust gray stuff. And it would kind of like fissure. Right, right next to the, right next to the, right next to the, the wet market. Yeah, yeah. When you would buy your food, there was like buffets there. Yeah, I go eat there all the time. Did you, ever, did you ever get any bat? Did you ever buy a bat? No, no way. Oh, I don't know. You know, like I, I look. You know, I, I could get by all right there, but there was a lot of times I didn't you know. Uh, I I couldn't. You know, I, I couldn't speak the language very very well. You know, well enough to kind of get get by, but uh, uh, I would just point to things. Right. You know, and then they would give it to me. I have no idea what I'm eating. You know, I just like eat it, you know, hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you would cross that bridge, right? And that kind of stunk. 
that that stunk for sure. But the heat, right? That I think that's the the thing, the main thing in your senses. Like if you're not if you're not uh, accustomed to that, it's just it's an overwhelming sensation. You know, it's like this like I don't know, like wet towel, like constantly on your face, and it's not a it's not a comfortable temperature either. You know, um, yeah. I remember you telling me like years later, you know, because we spent a lot of time going. To, we went to Brazil times and. And you're telling me like, I man, I miss like the smells of Thailand, <laughs> the craziest things. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the foods, right? The foods, they're 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 uh, their culinary uh, arts are. I don't know, man. I I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it. Like you know, I've been like various places in South America, and Central America, the Caribbean, you know, throughout Southeast Asia and Europe. And I've never experienced like a uh, diversity in, you know, tastes, experimentation, smells of food. I mean, it's just, if you're a foodie, mm. man, you have to go to Thailand. And there's like, and even uh, upon the regions, right? There's people get highly experimental. There's like certain dishes that are really popular in a particular area. And um, yeah. Because you, you, went you went to different places like Cambodia, Laos. Leos, uh -huh. right? You went, right? Was, you went to, yes. Uh -huh. So you traveled around in that area, the different. Yeah. So the, the, once you get in, um, you know they um, they can stamp your passport for ninety days, but they don't have to, right? So I don't. I think it's just like whoever's like the guy that does that. He just kind of like looks at you and he's like, you know, thirty days, whatever he deems yeah. he feels like is appropriate, you know, by looking at you, and so. You know, if they stamp you 30 days, well, 30 days later, you got to leave the country. Well, the thing is, you can always like leave and come right back in. And so it forces you to, like, you know, go to Vietnam, go to Malaysia, you know, go, go travel around. You go out, come right back in. Mm. And then they just stamp you again. Maybe you're lucky and you get stamped for a longer length of time, you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it forced me to kind of go around in those other areas. And those other areas, you know, it literally was kind of like in and out. You know, sometimes, you know, you might spend like a day or two, but um, yeah, the, 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 the territories uh, that kind of outline um, Thailand, um, you know, the, they're, they're much more intense, right? You, you know, you're talking about like Myanmar, um, yeah, like Cambodia. I mean, th this, and this was 1999, I believe, uh, 98 99 when i was there right so it was one year after um uh the khmer rouge in cambodia uh collapsed pol pot i think had died wow. uh, at angor wat like in 98 and so that whole genocide that was occurring there right um had kind of come to an uh come to an end even though the khmer rouge was still there right um um yeah, so what did it you see wasn't like a place there? you'd want to hang out. What, what did you see? What did you see when you were there? Because I've read all. You know, uh, so the, so the, the main the, the time that I spent like the most amount of time I went to um, it's called uh, um, what is it? Uh, it, it, I, I can't remember what uh, what the name of the city is right now, but it translates to Siam Conquered, mm. right? And um, uh, Siam Reap, Siam Reap. 
And that's uh, Siem Reap is where Angkor Wat Park is, right? And that's that's been in a bunch of movies and stuff. And that's it's not just one temple; it is uh, a, a collection of temples, right? And uh, you know, as world renowned as this one place is, it's incredibly dangerous because you have to stay on these very, you know, the, the, these paths you cannot deviate from the path. There is no like walking a few feet off the grass because it's loaded with ordnance, right? There's tons of landmines and unexploded ordnance uh, from, uh, you know, Vietnam era that's just out there. Plus the Khmer Rouge planted a, t- a ton of stuff out there too. So uh, you see amputees everywhere in Cambodia. Um, they're, they're all over the place. So, I mean, so you're in a place that you think like, well, you know, I'm sure the government has come in and kind of cleaned up that area and made it safe for, you know, tourists. Well, not really, you know, so you still like, even though you're on the park grounds, uh, you're kind of on your own You have to really kind of take it seriously. Right. Cause you can get severely injured or killed. Um, yeah. So it's a cool place. Landmines, bust <laughs> up on the landmines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's one thing to, to, to go on a trail, right? But if you step off, like not about falling off, but stepping on a landmine, blow off your leg. And that was still Yeah. There. You know, mm-hmm. imagine like bringing up a family there, right? There's all these children there. In fact, they have, uh, there's a, I had a guy that was a student here at the school that uh, he worked for a foundation where they built um, uh, 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 like playgrounds for amputee children. I mean, there was like so many amputee children that that's what they, you know, this guy went over there all the time and uh, put these um, put these things together, you know? So he had some, he had been over there like, I, I don't know, like several dozen times and he had some pretty amazing stories. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And what about the, you know, Popa, like he like, you know, separate all the families and, you know, he's, the mass genocide you know like do we able to see like society at all or were you just at the tourist spots no i mean like i mean when you're talking about tourist spots i mean there's like it was me i was the tourist spot you know i mean there's not not a lot of people there at all like people just didn't venture there at that time um you know like now i i think i um there was a show with anthony bourdain where he went to cambodia and they actually had an area in, um, uh, man, I can't, I'm spacing right now, but the, the, the main city that's there, he, um, they have an area with, which is set up for tourists, you know? Mm. Uh, it's a very safe area. There's, you know, a lot of things to buy. When I went there, there was, it was nothing like that. You know, they hadn't put any thought at all into like, you know, cultivating uh, a tourism industry. Um, so it was just like a, a place that, you know, you had seen like, you know, on, on Google or something like that, you know, that's um, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad was, uh, he was over there. He went to the Vietnam war, you know? So he was, uh, well, uh, it was on, uh, it was, a uh, classified, I guess at the time, but he was on the Cambodian side, you know? <laughs> so I was like, right. looking it up, you know, and he right. had his camp, he had his a camp and that as a, Mekong, Mekong Delta, Mekong Delta. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I remember that, that, that name, you know, that's crazy, man. That's, that, that's some, that's some craziness, you know, and those times and you went there right when they opened up, huh? right when the regime fell. Yeah. So those people were there, they were still in the community. 
Um, yeah, so this this guy, uh, Pol Pot, right? He um, he was, uh, you know, he, he is a, a Cambodian native, but he was educated in France, right? So he went to the universities there and he had this very like, uh, you know, proto-fascistic vision of, uh, of how, you know, uh, Cambodia should be. And he felt like they had all these, you know, socioeconomic problems. And so his, his cure for that was to start everything back from the beginning, you know? So I think they were, uh, the Khmer Rouge was, uh, I believe they were financed by like, uh, like, you know, these uh, Russian mafia guys, um, which supplied them with weapons. And they were like, they were basically like hillbillies, right? They lived in the, the, the jungles and they were all these young people and they just kind of gave them weapons, marched them into Phnom Penh, right? Phnom Penh is the, uh, the, the main city there. That's the capital, about like a million people. And they marched them in there. And I guess the United States had found out um, that these guys were on their way in. What Wasn't sure what to make of that, but they evacuated forces, you know, U.S. forces out of there. And so when the U.S. forces left, the Khmer Rouge was hailed as liberators. That's what they thought. They thought they, they had saved them, but mm-hmm. they were there to an, annihilate, you know, and they just started... Um, they did this whole thing. It was almost like uh, that Stephen King novel, Children of the Corn, right? Mm-hmm. Where the parents or the kids would turn in their parents and, the, and they would execute the parents, right? So it was, wow. they were like eliminating art, music, history, wow. everything. In fact, he, he, uh, um, he ended up um, s- setting the, the Cambodian calendar back to year zero, right? Right. And that's, that's kind of what, what, what happened. 2000 years um, back yeah yeah freaking crazy you know but um yeah so 98 this guy uh he gets sick i think he got cancer or something like that and he was hauled up inside uh some kind of temple perch there in uh angor wat and that's where he kind of lived out the rest of his days and he died and that was 98 and then i was there one year after that you know so um those people were still there. Um, but they, they, I think, you know, they had kind of got their country back to, to some degree. Um, it's always been like a struggling area, you know, but it's, it's really, uh, it's really neat for yeah. sure. You know, a lot of history. What an, what an experience. Yeah. And so <clears throat> fast forward, we're back, we're back to, uh, you come back to, to New Mexico, you come back to Santa Fe and, uh, is that the time? So I, was, I came back in 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, beginning of 2000. And so I remember you were, you were one of the first students, you know, in, in you know, when I started the group up, you know. Uh, right. At the, at the, I think it was an Aikido place and I put some flyers up, right, in town. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's like marketing back then. And uh, so you came back and then that's when you started jujitsu, like for real? Yeah. So, I mean, like, like I said, you know, I had, I had all this, uh, this exposure, but I couldn't like, you know, I, there, there was no school, right. There was no school. And I think like, you know, you know, the, the, the little bit that I was getting, you know, it just kind of brushed upon the idea of what jujitsu resembled. Um, but it wasn't until you and, you know, Amal, I think were coming back and forth from Brazil 
and that was uh that was in 90 like 97 um i remember a mall coming out and then one of those seminars i don't know it might have been 98 maybe something like that i seem to to remember you as a blue belt i yeah. believe yeah and and you came in you did like a seminar but you know so anyway i would record all of the um uh all of the seminars and i took some private lessons with uh, uh mall as well and uh so then when you guys would go back you just practice those series of moves that we had you know just watch the tapes over and over again and just practice it and try to understand it maybe you get like 15 or 20 moves down you guys would come back you know you learn like another series connect that to the rest of the hub and so yeah and in 2000, I think like you already had the school going for a little bit, but um, I was in transit, right? I was kind of, uh, I think coming back from Thailand around that time. And um, there was, there was more, there was starting to be like a faction of guys from the school that I was at that were going to go train at your place. Right. Guys like uh, Jim Keller and uh, Chris Torres, uh, Chris Torres. Right. And so there was, there was those guys that were going over. And so uh, shortly around that time, that's when I, I left the gym that I was at. I was working at the Taekwondo Institute with uh, Grant, right? We were both teaching over there and, uh, you know, turned Grant onto it. And uh, he started coming over. So all these people in the martial arts community were like, wow. They, they, they knew it was like how special Jiu-Jitsu was. And I think they understood how difficult at that time was like now it's, you know, 20 years later, it's not a big deal to go learn jujitsu. I mean, there's still pockets in this country where it's, you know, it's a little difficult to get to, but I mean, in this town, what, right. What there's like three or four schools or something like that in this teeny tiny little town. Uh, but back then, man, I mean, there was, there was nothing, you know, so to have access to not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but like world-class Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was unheard of, right? So everybody that like martial arts mattered to them, they took advantage of it, you know? So that that was that was that first group. Yeah. What are some of the names that came to, through Santa Fe? Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu names? Oh, wow. So we, I mean, we had, of course, uh, uh, Big Big Dan, right? Dan Christensen, mm. right? He was, uh, he was a really... Uh, um, at our school, and of course, there's uh, you know Tate Fletcher and uh, Isaac Valley Flag. Uh, you know we had uh, Sarah Boyd, uh, CJ McHugh. I mean the the, the oh, one Pan little Pan. school. It's like all these. Yeah, Sarah won the pans. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're they're all um, you know they've they've done a lot. I think you know they they did some really critical things like in the uh, you know in the inception of this MMA jujitsu, right. You know, this, this, this wave of it, at least, you know? Um, and because how many people live in Santa Fe? It's, I think we're about 80,000 people. 80,000 people. Yeah. yeah. I think that the last census is got us around there. So. And so what are some of the names like that we, that I brought out to Santa Fe to do seminars and things like that? <sighs> oh, the people that we brought out. Oh man. Uh, back in the day, back in the day. So the first one that I remember was uh, Sonaki. Sonaki. That was yeah. yeah that I was the I, first. I, I the, yeah, that was the first uh, first seminar that I remember. 
Um, and there was not many people there. I think there was like four people at that seminar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember he, he taught for like two hours. And I, I, and the reason I remembered the thing, cause I was trying to take notes. Right. And, um, I wrote down like 70 different techniques on there, you know, and then I think after I looked at my notepad and I like, I couldn't make out any of these <laughs> like crude little stick figures. And then at my best try to like, you know, cause he was going through stuff really rapidly. Right. Right. And then right. He'd give you a few minutes to like drill the technique and then he'd move on to the next thing. And, and, and I, I think I remember at one point, like I was like practicing one of the moves and he, he came over and he picked up my notebook and he like looked at the thing. He's just like, <laughs> I'm all brought him down, right? I'm all brought him down from right, right. Yeah. Right. And he, he yes. talked about it. I remember him teaching in his speedos. Yeah. But yeah, for sure, man. I mean, we had uh Gordo, right? Gordo right, was right. there. Yeah. Uh, and then we had um, uh, who else? Um, oh gosh, Soka. Soka, yeah. Um, uh, of course, uh, Alexandre. Um, Valij, right? Valij. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there were so so many guys, and then even like uh, towards. Towards the end, I remember when we brought down, uh, you brought down um, um, Braulio Estima, uh -huh. right? He yeah. was he was uh, over at uh, um, Amal's place. He was brown belt at the time. Brown belt, yeah. Right? yeah. He had just won like the Pan Pan Ams or something like that. And tapped everybody out and like weighed an open weight, right? With uh, yeah, like, like five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. All the <laughs> all the all the combined matches lasted five minutes. So like 30, yeah. second, thirty second matches, right? Even yeah, them. insane. Yeah. And he took the bus. I remember he took the bus, the Greyhound bus down. And uh, uh, I guess I fell asleep or my, something happened where I couldn't pick him up. And it was yeah. in the yeah, middle yeah. of the night. It was freezing. <laughs> but he figured it out and got a, got a hotel, you know, and uh, we saw him in the morning. You, you there? I think we froze up a little bit. You there? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. It, was, it was hilarious. Yeah. We had Hoist Gracie, right? Hoist Gracie come out. Hoist Gracie. We had Master oh, Carlos. Master right? Carlos, yeah. And uh, Mar Carlos Marcio Feitoza and Kira Gracie. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, man. Little Santa Fe, you know? We brought all those guys out, right? He hasn't yeah. been back since, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Hoist so Gracie, that was, man, that was cool. That was, uh, that was, like, that was just such a kind of a full circle moment i think right because you know him watching him back in those days and and then having him come to santa fe and watching the ufc with him in like cliff's living room right yeah we're watching the ufc with uh with horace gracie yeah <laughs> well we had originally right we we, we were going to do it over at the the bar that i worked at right 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 I worked right at el paseo and we had set up a little party over there and um the the owner of the bar had actually paid for the um for the pay-per-view event and then somehow the word got out to the you know the local cable air, air area and he was just paying for the rent you know the pay-per-view itself uh -huh. and so i think they charged him like 
you know, I don't know, whatever that was like $1,500. Like if you're going to show it at your bar, this is the fee that you pay. So he paid that. We all got there and it snowed. Remember it was in the winter. It snowed that night and the dish on the roof got covered with snow and canceled out the pay-per-view signal. And people just got up and somebody said, I can get it at my house. Let's go. <laughs> Everybody left the bar. It was empty. And he was, the owner was like left with his like $1,500 bill. He's just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's... But no, that was, that was really cool. That was really cool. You know, he did like four, four seminars, right? Yeah. Two, two a day on a Saturday yeah. and then yeah. another two on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, wow. And you had a, a, I only did one, but I remember uh, th- th- there must have been some people there that did like all four or did like several of the the units, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had to, we had to film up, we had to film, we had to cut off uh, every, every, uh, every, every class, right? At a certain limit. So right. Have enough room and stuff. That's pretty cool. What about the tournaments? Talk about some old tournament stories. <laughs> <laughs> traveling to uh, traveling to Brazil, traveling to we used to go to Florida a lot. Driving to Los Angeles, right? Um, yeah. So the first one I remember going to with you was, um, I think, I think it was. Um, uh, grapplers quest mm. because as a white belt i think i did grapplers quest and i also did the u.s open which what was that in santa cruz or something santa like that cruz. Or, yeah 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 um yeah but i think i think the grapplers quest was the very first one and that was that was really cool man because that you know that tournament i haven't been to it in years but they they have it paired up now with the ufc expo right it did, and, yeah, uh, like a year or two, yeah. Yeah, and it draws like, what, like 2,500, 3,000 competitors? It's like mm-hmm. a major tournament, right? Like, a, like it, it almost rivals one of the, like, you know, some of the IBJJF tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they get a lot of competitors. But that first year that I remember going, there was like maybe 250 people there. And it was, that was a really cool time in jiu-jitsu because it's uh, – it was truly a subculture, you know, like people just didn't really know about it. And I remember like we, we went to the tournament and, you know, at that time there was no, um, you know, there was no attire or whatever that associated one. It was no gi, right. It was no gi as well. It was no gi. Yeah. It was a lot of no gi tournament. And uh, so this guy's from tap out, right. They came in their little van and then they were wearing the costumes and stuff. And, they came out and like we're selling like a few t-shirts out there. I mean, that was like the the, the first time. And I remember like uh, uh, walking in there, Chuck Liddell was there, right? I think he fought like in like one, maybe one UFC, but he's got this very, you know, that was at the time when you could, you knew all the fighters, he, right? He was coaching, he was yeah. He was coaching Jake Shields, I think. He, Jake oh, Shields, wow, was, yeah. I, went, I think I went against Jake Shields at that tournament. Yeah, but he was coaching Jake Shields. Yeah, the who's who in that. You know, you had 250 people, right? But it was like the who's who in jujitsu at the time. Yeah, right? uh, Eddie Bravo was like a purple belt, you know? Yeah, was he was. Like- I think that was just, that was the first because I remember hanging out with him. We, you know, we've been friends since blue belts. But he, uh, he, uh, that was the first nogi tournament he had won. You know? Yeah. Like 2000. That that 
Grapple's Quest in 2000. Yeah, that, I mean, that was really, that was really cool, man. You know, um, just so many legends of the sport, you know, um, just so early on, you know, but it's just amazing how much it's grown in such a short period of time. But yeah, all the, we did a lot of, that's the one thing about the Santa Fe group, uh, you know, um, we're road warriors, right? We, we drive to a lot of tournaments and that was just like the culture. I, I don't remember it ever being like, a, you know, uh, a, a thing that we hated, you know, just like just get in the car and drive. Right. And, uh, you get pile up a bunch of people, <laughs> but I remember like one of the funny stories I remember is, uh, yeah, you guys were coming back from a turn. It was, it was grapplers quest tournament. must've been right in Vegas. And you guys had a van and I can't remember this was the van that you were in or whatnot, but your cousin Tomas, right? Tomas. Yeah. 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 You guys were driving at night and he had to, he had to use the bathroom or something like that. Right. So he pulls over the van on the side of the road and he steps out of the van and he must've parked it right on the side of like a cliff or something like that. <laughs> and he just stepped out and just disappeared into the, <laughs> into the darkness. He just saw him exit and then he was just gone. Like man, like magic or something like that, and then it's like, then what do you do where he was? And then I remember you guys telling me it was something like you know, you're looking over the cliff, and he's like scaling back up the rock. He's like scratched up, and dirt, and weeds in his hair, and he's like, ah, like like a like a zombie or something like that coming back. He's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, some of those 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 road trips are crazy, huh? Um, yeah. Did you go to Texas with us at one time? No, that was the one where you guys went with. Uh, I think Grant. Uh, I remember Grant went. You know, and a couple. Yeah, of you guys had like four. Like there was, there was like, there was that guy Manny, right? Didn't that guy Manny go with you? Remember that Manny was like the really big dude, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. thick legs, arms, like just a big body, and he was like a specimen, right? He could move like a like a cat. Oh, Manny, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember you guys took him over to a tournament and he just manhandled everybody, you know? Um, uh, it was with Chong, right? Didn't you, you guys go to that tournament with Chong? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But we went to, we went to Colorado, like, I don't know how many times. Yeah. Right? I remember some of those karate yeah. tournaments because we had to yeah. go to karate tournaments before there was Grappler's Quest, right? Right. And, uh, what is that? Do you remember any other crazy stories? Like going to LA, um, Joe Diddy, Joe Duran. <laughs> so I, think, I remember being in, or I think it was in Orlando, right? And, uh, oh man, I can't remember what set it off, but I remember like, oh God, Joe Duran, he was a blue belt at the time, right? I think he must've been, right? Cause there was no white belt division at that time. There was no right. novice division. Right. And so I remember he, somehow he got in this like pissing contest with uh clever professor clever luciano right <laughs> and uh there, there was something like uh he says like uh you're gonna meet my professor tomorrow you know he's <laughs> like he was talking about you or something like okay I, I can't remember but something happened and he just like he got like kind of in his face and told him this whole thing and it was like it was really funny you know uh 
Yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember, you know, like some, some days, I mean, there are, there's a lot of moments that kind of stick out in my head, you know, but uh, these maps, in fact, the maps that we still have here, some of them are like, I mean, we've replaced a lot, but some of them probably, there's probably a few out there that are like almost 20 years old. And they've just been very carefully taken care of and they're, <laughs> they're, they're positioned in a particular place. But yeah, those mats have seen like a lot of, uh, I'm sure if we were to scrape off the DNA <laughs> of those mats, <laughs> we could recreate the original, the original uh, Santa Fe Jiu-Jitsu team. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Joe Diddy, man. He's like the nicest guy, Joe Duran, you know? And uh, yeah, that's crazy. That's funny. It was like uh, my debut, right? My black belt debut. I was because uh, he was uh, he was a big deal, right? In California and I mean US, right? He yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And he'd always uh, he'd always uh, he's always very vocal, right? At tournaments, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> now he's still he's he's still I I, uh, I have a, a friend uh, and she trains uh, she trains at his school, right? She's been uh -huh. there for like a long time, so he's he's still at it. It's just it's cool to see these people that uh, I don't know um, you know either close to or from afar you've kind of grown up with this community, you know, and, um, you know, you've seen them when they're like young and they're like, you know, destroying they're awesome. And then, you know, they're, then they have families and they have their students and that's a really incredible experience, you know, to kind of witness that. You know, we had uh, Genesis, right? You had Genesis, uh, get her yeah. brown belts, um, you know, this, this last week, um, and, uh, I mean, you've been teaching her since she was how old? Oh, man, I mean, four or five, maybe or five. even younger. She might've been even like three or something like that. And she was really tiny at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So her, her and her older brother, mm -hmm. uh, trained Taekwondo with me for, for a number of years. And then I remember Sergio coming in with, uh, his, his wife, you know, and they would watch the class and, um, and they really love martial arts, you know, and, they, and if, if you know those guys, they, uh, um, they very quickly uh, become a very critical part of the, whatever community they're in, you know, like whether it be at their church, uh, you know, with their friends, the, um, where they work, in this case, in martial arts, right? And um, so... Yeah, they, you know, when uh, Grant and I left the Taekwondo Institute and decided to full on, because I think Grant like started um, either he was going to the Southwest Acupuncture Clinic, maybe that was the thing, or maybe you had asked him to teach the kids class or help out with the kids class, right? Right. So uh, when that happened and I left shortly thereafter too, uh, they, they followed us, right? And so they came over there to the... Uh, uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy and pretty much have been with us since. So yeah, almost two decades. Unreal. That's crazy. 20 years. <clears throat> she's 20. She's got to be 24 or something now, right? Yeah. 24. That's crazy. Yeah, something like that. I know it's like, it's hard to remember, right? Or just kind of, you know, just talk about one person. What are some, uh, some, moments that you're very proud of that I mean that's got to be one of the moments right of just seeing these kids grow up you know uh what are some other um great memories you have over the years of teaching 
Um, you know, for a while, there, there was a moment where I got like uh, really excited about coaching for MMA, right? And mm. I never had, you know, being in a little town, I never had like a large MMA team, but we had like a, like a core group of guys, right? And um, really worked hard to uh, make those guys the best that I could at that time, you know? And some of those guys, they went on to, um, you know, they became king of the cage champions. Um, ben Mulhern, right? You became, you trained him up to become king of the cage champion and went to the UFC. Right. And they were even on that bully beatdown show. Remember that on MTV? Oh, right, right, right. They yeah. were the guys that would beat up the bullies. <laughs> so they, and then from there, like they ended up, you know, some of the guys, you know, getting on strike force and then, you know, then competing in the UFC. So that, that was really, that was really cool because uh, I don't know, it's, it's very, um, in order to properly take care of the students here at the school and to take care of, um, the fighters, we had to have camp at the end of the night. So at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night is when we would start the MMA camp. And then I tried to rationalize it. Well, this is roughly the time that fights are happening. So now you guys are getting accustomed to, you know, your body's kind of peaking at that time. But we would have these long-ass training sessions that would go to midnight or after. And, uh, you know, uh, here uh, an interesting story, and I, I, I'm sure you've heard this one before, but I there was one night I, I was there at the academy. It must have been around midnight, right? And we had just finished like a long session of like striking drills and sparring patterns with like big gloves, right? And now we were going to transition into like doing more of the M, uh, ground specific stuff. So I told the guys to change out their gloves and, you know, they put their MMA gloves on and tape it so, you know, the Velcro doesn't scratch or whatever, you know, so they're, they're doing that whole process. And uh, so they all left. This was at the old school. Remember, we had the two rooms, the two mat right. rooms with the office space in between. Well, they all, all the gloves were located on the far end. So they left the uh, grappling room to go into the striking room, get their stuff and left me in there by this, by myself. And I'm just kind of like looking out at the windows. I was looking out onto Resolana and, you know, it's late at night. So there's not a lot of traffic. And I see this car peel off the uh, Sirius Road like very quickly right it comes down the road and then it turns into the business directly across the street from us there was like a uh, like a tire shop or something like that right mm. and so the guy pulls back kind of close to the dumpster and um, you can kind of hear that they're playing music kind of loud you know and they were kind of sitting there for a while and just the the, the whole thing like the timing like the the energy kind of behind it uh, you know I start like you know, these weird ideas start popping in the back of my head and I start thinking about like, oh, uh, uh, maybe this guy's dumping off a body or something like that. It's just like, oh, just a thought, right? I, di I didn't even think it was anything serious. Um, and man, I, I don't know if it was my imagination, but I thought I heard some screaming, but that didn't seem right because it was, I was, I would have been listening to that through the glass across the street into their vehicle. So I thought maybe it was just my imagination and they had been there for a while. Nobody got out of the car. And so I start to lose interest. And so I just start to turn my head and all of a sudden the door open, the driver's side door opens. And this uh, guy gets out of the car and he grabs this body by the ankles and starts pulling them out of the car through the uh, driver's side. And it's limp. 
right? In fact, when the back and the head came off the driver's side seat, the head hit the concrete and he starts dragging the body back towards the dumpster. And I was sitting there and I was like, in my head, I'm like, holy shit, this guy actually is dropping, uh, dumping off a body, you know? And so uh, all of a sudden he climbs up on top of the body and this is happening very quickly, right? It's like, you know, I'm telling the story, but it, it's, it's, it's happening very quickly. And all of a sudden he climbs up on top of the body and he's, he gets in like mount. He's punching this person in the face. And then I, I could very clearly hear it, it was, a, it was, it was a, a woman on the bottom. Right. And I, and I just said like, Oh my God, this, this guy's, you know, beating this woman. And all of a sudden I see Sergio's face like pop right next to mine. And uh, he had his wrestling shoes on. Right. And he just pops, unlocks the door and sprints across the street. And uh, professor Bobby was there. Uh, uh, one of the girls, Zuhei, she was there. Anyway, they all go across the street and they grab this guy and they pull him off this woman and they, uh, they uh, have him over the hood of the vehicle, right? And Professor Bobby's, uh, uh, I, I don't think he was currently with the police department at, at the time. I don't know if he was retired at, at that point. He might've still been with them, but he's got them kind of over. And he, I remember he did have a police radio, right? So he calls... He calls for uh, dispatch and they, they brought out some officers, but this, uh, apparently these guys had been at a club and they were doing some crystal meth and uh, they got oh. kicked out of the club and then things just kind of escalated. Right. And the whole inside of the car was like covered with blood. Uh, and I remember like uh, one of our girls, she was, um, she was talking to the girl and she got like, she just got very emotional. Right. Like seeing this woman kind of hurt like that. And this, this guy had his arm, you know, behind his back. He's bent over the hood of the car. And she just went over there and started, <laughs> started taking off of this guy's face, you know. Where they, they were just getting ready for training. So they had their mouthpieces in. They had their MMA clothes on. <laughs> and so this guy's like, at first he thought we were the cops. And he and all of a sudden he's like looking at all these people with their mouthpieces in. He's like, hold on a second. You guys aren't police. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway the police the police came you know and they uh uh you know they see the guy he's like you know kind of like you know he's been, been obviously something's happened to him you know and the cop's like you know before he puts the guy in the cruiser he's like hey you guys didn't touch this guy did you or like oh no sir no no <laughs> he's like oh, okay, you know? <laughs> well that was that was it you know crazy man like we just happen to be there at the right right time at the right place you know and yeah. like had we not done that done that like who knows what would have happened to that girl you know crazy. and the right people right the right people that's crazy yeah yeah for sure you know man like you you're really humble you know it's all you've always been very soft-spoken very humble and uh, i mean you put your heart and soul into all these guys like training them for fights like a lot a lot of years you know training people for tournaments just you know just being there for the community right uh um always my like right hand man you know and and uh soldier and you know you gave your heart and soul you know to the community to the gym you know um so i, I you know i really appreciate you know i really appreciate uh, appreciate thank you, you appreciate your your loyalty your friendship you know just i, just, I appreciate you you know so oh, thank, thank you for everything you know i wanted to just ask one more question like you know what are you great what are you grateful for out of all the in these these memories and It's the, it's the people, you know, I would say it's not, I mean, the, my personal growth 
is uh, that you know that um, you uh, you're a very tough teacher, and um, and I think that's what I needed, and I think that's what a lot of the the the, the you know the the core group that's what we needed it that that made us who we are. But it's all the people that have come into our uh, into our gym, you know, uh, you know, our, our, you as our teacher, the people you brought in to help influence us, you know, your teachers, the, the team that you cultivated, right? It's it's all these people. Uh, it's just the the friendships, the um, you know, getting getting to know other people in many ways is a way of kind of getting to know ourselves. You know, because we always we measure ourselves, we contrast against other people. That's how we kind of figure out, well, this is who I am or my or at least our perception of ourselves. Right. And um, the um, the culture that was set up at the school. Was it's such an open, friendly, family oriented culture, you know, and uh, not every gym has that, you know and you set the stage for that and you know i've just tried to if anything just kind of you know ma maintain that but yeah it's just it's the people the, and the, the fact that they've been willing to share so many years of their life and uh, who they are you know there's there's no hiding on the mat right whatever it is you're going through in life is going to get exposed it's going to come out you know and um there's something about the camaraderie the trust you develop with uh, with your peers, the people that you train with. It's there's not too many um, not too many things that you can get into in life where you're gonna have like a mirror. You, you're gonna you're, you're gonna have um, that ability to get to know people or as many people as well as you get to know them in jujitsu. I, I don't know if that kind of makes sense. Totally. Yeah. 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 So it's just like being, being authentic, right? Being authentic. Yeah. Being true self. So the, the, the techniques and stuff, I mean, jujitsu is, uh, you know, for detail oriented people, it's, it's super immersive. It's so interesting, but it almost like the people that you, the friends that you make almost kind of trump the art, you know, it's the art that kind of brings them together it's 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 it draws these really uh, unusual characters you know some of the best people i think in this world you know have been on our mats um yeah so i thank you for you know giving that to us you know had you not gone and like i said you know many times at our seminars like you know, that it requires a lot of courage to go and do, do the things that you did at the time that you had done them and to bring back and share that with us and help build that, that, that community. Um, this is, this place is such a special place for so many people, you know? Um, yeah. So I would have to say to people, <laughs> you know, the people in the relationships. Yeah. Thank you, man. I, you know, I was just, I was so proud to be there uh, last week, you know, with everybody, uh, and especially it just kind of, it was the perfect time, you know, uh, 2020, yeah. uh, um, you know, you getting your fourth degree, 20 years of, uh, Santa Fe jujitsu in Santa Fe, you know, um, yeah. yeah, really special moment, you know, so I'm just so proud to be there. Um, 
you know, to be, do, to, you know, have my part, but you know, it's been now you like for the last, you know, I moved out to LA, my son is 13, you know, so 13 years ago, you know, uh, yeah. I was there, you know, I was there, I had the school for, you know, uh, seven years almost. Right. Something like that. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like I, I wrote a little post, you know, I, I gave my heart and soul to I wanted you guys to be the best. And we took you guys all over the country and Brazil and the world, you know, <laughs> literally yeah. like Japan, everywhere else, you know, everywhere we could, wherever there were fights, wherever mm-hmm. there were tournaments. Um, no one know. ever n- none of the students ever dispute that stuff. You know, man, they are like that. That was the place to be. I mean, that the. the uh, so many of those people that were, you know, part of this original school when when you when you were the uh, the professor here, man, that that was uh, you had some destroyers there, <laughs> you know, some some very strong-willed, strong, just strong people, wonderful people, you know, incredible martial artists, you know, and for a tiny little school for us to go and, and compete on a global stage and and not just hold our own, but you know, and many times kind of like break break records right to, to to become like the first to win these these major tournaments and stuff like that i mean not too many people can say that you know yeah and that's all out of one place yeah yeah what's uh what's next for you uh we'll see man you know like right now with this years, COVID you know, stuff years yeah I know it's hard to write to it's hard to look forward right <laughs> yeah. 2020. it's like a pot it's like there's been a pause button on life you know and like my focus now is just like you know keeping maintaining my my happiness uh not trying to get too um um too freaked out at you know the reality of, you know i go into class sometimes and there's only a few people here and it's you know it's part of it's like you know it's the time of year it's the holidays but you know, it's this whole COVID thing. And, uh, you know, we were at this year, we've been closed for close to six months total, you know, half the year we've been closed. Uh, so, you know, jujitsu, especially for beginners, you, it's, you have to be consistent, right? It's very easy to get sidetracked. And so, um, I think the love is there, you know, I, I mean, obviously we had that seminar, look how many people showed up, you know, so there's, there's, there still remains a lot of passion. People are just, they're being safe. They're taking care of the people that they care about in their lives, you know? So we appreciate that. And uh, we'll do what's necessary to keep the doors open. I'm super, you know, I'm super positive on that. Um, um, it's just kind of wait, be patient and wait. And uh, yeah. Anything's possible. Give me, give me a two, three years, five years, anything's possible. What would you like to see um, for the gym, martial arts, for yourself? Any? Yeah, I guess I haven't. Yeah, I mean, for for me personally, I mean, there's certain things I really enjoy. Like, you know, I love, I, I started getting back into traveling, right? I really fell in love. I, right before I started the school, I was, you know, traveling a bit. And then once I got like super deep into jujitsu, I kind of just let that stuff go. That became my, my, my focus. But uh, I don't know, life goes by really quick, you know, so that for me personally, I, 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 there's a lot of places I want to see. I, I feel like that it exercises my mind. It, 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 it um, makes me a better person. It makes me uh, more understanding of humanity. So I want to continue to do that. 
but I want to continue to, 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 to build the school. It's a constant project. You know, it ne never ends. Uh, if I get complacent for a day or two, then there's a quick reminder, like, oh, don't let that happen. You know, um, it can be easy to get comfortable, but uh, yeah, I just want to, doing martial arts for as long as I've been doing it, um, it's hard, it is challenging to maintain a high level of enthusiasm, uh, you know, uh, compared to what I had when I was in my 20s. And I still very much love it. Um, but just like anything else in life, you do something so much, sometimes, you, you know, there's an element of burnout. And I, and I, I'm, I haven't really experienced that, but it's been something I'm cognizant of. Yeah. And I'm scared of it. Right. Yeah. So I try to take preventative measures and, 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 and I find myself like kind of falling in love back with the basics. Like, why did I do this in the first place? And just trying to, just trying to enjoy, right. Just trying to like love and be passionate, you know, find that, find, find that fire. I, like, I feel like I have to like work to, um, um, uh, you know, kind of maintain that, um, I mean, I, I probably put in like, I don't know, it depends on the day, but seven to nine hours a day where I'm like teaching and training here. Um, so I'm definitely <laughs> putting some time into it yeah. for sure, you know, but uh, yeah, got, I want to feel got, good about it. You know? Yeah, we got to spend some time doing some of the tack for stuff and uh, hopefully yeah. we can open up again, like we can go on some trips together again and do some some training trips, you know, um, yeah. planning on doing a summit in uh in Brazil, probably in December, you know, wow. um, a whole week of training and, you know, health first, health first approach. Right. And it goes so well yeah. with jiu and martial arts, you know, um, of course, but it goes with everything, just life in general, you know, so it just expands yeah. your horizons, you know, of how to train properly, you know, I'm going to send yeah. you some club bells too, you know, oh, so you yes. playing around. <laughs> I think there's a couple there right next yeah, 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 to Ireland, yeah. you know, so yeah. uh, by one, one of these days, you know, um, yeah. but yeah look look oh. forward to spending some more time spending more time together and more adventures and yeah and, uh, i agree i think that's a that's a wise decision you know improving ourselves and help helping others do the same right yeah yeah that's what it's all about right that's why yeah. that's why we got into this so. yeah. <laughs> well thanks man thanks thanks for you know thanks for the time and thank oh, you for thank you professorship the relationship that we have you know i appreciate you know um our time together, our relationship, and uh, I appreciate all that you do for for everybody around you. You know, you're like you're you're, of course, amazing professor, but just amazing person. You know, so I really I really value a lot. You know, um, thank you, professor. You appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, thank and you. So, <laughs> hopefully, I'll see you soon, and uh, yes, yeah, keep our head up, right, <laughs> with yeah, all the yeah. craziness out uh, there. Yeah. So happy new year to you and your family. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you hopefully sometime after the, after the new year. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yes, sir. Take care, buddy.